Numbers 6. Last week, Steve preached through most of this chapter as we looked at the the Nazarite vow and, and how that helps us to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so this week we're going to be in Numbers 6, beginning in verse 22. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Father God, what a privilege it is that we can gather here this morning, that we can open your word together. We pray that you would meet us in this time, that you would enable me to be faithful to your word, that you would give us all ears to hear, and that your spirit would be working in our hearts to cause us to to become more like Christ, to love you more, and and to to have hearts that that are eager to and and desirous to serve you. So God, we pray that you would bless uh, the sermon this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You can tell a lot by the look on someone's face. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you work in childcare of any kind, you've probably given the look before. You know what I mean by the look, like that cold, calculated death stare. Like you don't have to say a word, and the person receiving that look, they know they've messed up big time. And we've all been kids, right? Everybody here's been kids before. So we've all also been on the receiving end, probably, of that look. I remember when I was in junior high, I had the brilliant idea that I would swing a golf club in the house. I, I thought it would be a good idea to, you know, do some kind of like golf practice in the house. So I'm going to swing a golf club. And understandably so, my mom was like, no, don't do that. Mom, if you're watching the live stream, I know you often do. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I said, I, I decided I was still going to do it. Just rebellious, sinful. I'm going to swing my golf club. I know what you guys are thinking. You combine a junior hire, a golf club, and a confined space with breakable items, this is not going to go well, okay? I know what you're expecting. So I, I, I gave my mom garbage excuses. I said things like, it's an iron, it's not even a driver. I don't have a golf ball, so what's the big deal? I, I thought that, you know, I'll be fine. I'm doing like a half swing. I'm not even giving the full swing. It's, it'll be fine. Garbage excuses sinful, rebellious heart, thinking I knew better than my mom, I'm going to swing a golf club in the house. So I'm swinging away. And I'm just, I'm just practicing, just swinging away, just really thinking I'm just doing all kinds of great stuff here. And I know what you're expecting. I know you think you know how this is going to end. I'm going to break something while I'm swinging my golf club. Well, I hate to disappoint, but that's not how this story goes. I finished swinging. And I gave my mom this arrogant look that said, see, everything's fine. I didn't break anything. No big deal. And as I'm giving my mom that look, a different look than the look that we know she wants to give me, I go to put my golf club away. And that's when I smash the lamp. 
Just totally dropped that golf club right into my bag. And as I'm dropping it, there's a lamp on the stand that it's leaning against. And I just put that head of that club right through the lampshade. Glass everywhere. And that's when the look made its appearance. My mom just gave me that cold, calculated death stare. And I didn't have to hear her say a word. I knew everything she was thinking. I spent that whole summer earning money to pay for a new lampshade. I had totally messed up. And I knew it just by looking at her face. We say a picture can say a thousand words. So too can a look. We've all seen that look. Well, the look on someone's face, it matters. So the question this morning for us is, how does God look at you? How does God look at you? Well, the Bible actually tells us a lot about God's attitude, both towards his people and towards his enemies, by describing his face. Now, just to be clear, God does not actually have a physical face. The Bible tells us that God is spirit. God the Son did take on flesh and become a man, and so he has a face. But often in the Bible, when God's face is talked about, it's uh, what we call personification. It's poetic language. And it's supposed to help us to understand God's demeanor toward us, how how he feels about us, how he looks at us. Places that talk about his anger and his judgment being poured out oftentimes do more than just say, God is angry. Now, we also will see places where it says things like this in the Word of God. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Or elsewhere, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. See, God's wrath is talked about using facial features, and it better helps us to understand his emotions. Well, we're going to consider God's face today in a passage in Numbers, Numbers 6. But obviously, after reading it, his hatred of sin is not what's on display. It's a much different demeanor that that we're going to see. Because this is a passage that centers around God's blessing towards his people, his favor towards his people, which probably really comes at a good time in the book of Numbers. We're now five and a half chapters into the book of Numbers, and as, as Steve has said many times, we've encountered some passages that, frankly, on the surface, might seem weird, might seem dry, might seem boring. I mean, there's a lot of times where Steve will finish reading it, and he'll, he'll say, well, that was weird, or, yeah, that, 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 was, that was kind of, kind of strange. Uh, we just were talking with some people from church on Friday night, and, and somebody said, I don't know how, when every time we read a passage in Numbers, I think, how is he going to preach that? And then God gives him grace, and he preaches a marvelous sermon. But if you weren't hearing his sermons, and you weren't seeing how, how God's heart is on display for his people, on a surface reading, you might think, God is kind of cold. He, maybe he's even kind of distant. I mean, here are the, the ways that God's been, God's been speaking in Numbers. Chapter 1, count my people. Chapter 2, order my camp. Chapter 3, assign duties. Chapter 4, assign more duties. Chapter 5, kick out the unclean people. Confess your sin and make sacrifices to me. And put wives to the test if their husbands are jealous. Chapter 6, take a special vow to demonstrate your commitment to me. You might hear some of that and think, I don't really know how God actually thinks of his people. He he seems like he's just kind of going through organizing things. But what does God think of when he's looking at his people? What's God's relationship really like? with his people? How does God feel about his people? And then you get to number 622, and you get your answer. 
We see three truths in this passage that help us to understand God's relationship to his people. Three truths that help us to understand God's relationship to us. First, we see God is set apart from us. Then we're going to see God is for us. And finally, we'll see that God will never leave us. He's set apart from us, he's for us, and he will never leave us. So let's walk through the passage. And let's unpack those three truths together. So look back with me at verses 22 and 23. We're going to see here that God is set apart from us. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. So God doesn't pronounce this blessing directly to the people himself. Do you see that? He says there, the Lord spoke to Moses. So Moses is representing the people. And then he says, now you go and you tell Aaron and his sons to speak these words to the people. He doesn't just speak them directly from himself. In fact, that's really been his M.O. since he first entered into relationship with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. When, when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, God delivered them from the Egyptians, and he brought them into the wilderness. He led them to Mount Sinai, this mountain, and he said, this is where I'm going to establish the terms of our relationship. This is what it's going to look like for us to be in covenant relationship together. And so he was going to give them his laws. He was going to give them the Ten Commandments. And he was going to say, this is what it looks like to be my people. And he was going to do that By coming down on the mountain, his presence would come down on the mountain, and he was going to speak to the people. Now, his presence terrified the Israelites, and it made a lot of sense. I mean, he was coming down in smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. Like, could you have made it any more intimidating? It was going to be his holiness on display. And the people were shaking in their boots. So this is what they say in Exodus 20, 19. They say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now they weren't saying, Moses, we don't want to listen to God, so you speak, on, you speak whatever you want to say to us. They were saying, you, you talk to God and when you, when you talk to him, come back and, and you tell us what he said. And then we read in a couple verses later in Exodus 20, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people said, Moses, you speak to us. You be the mediator between us and God. You be the go-between for us and God. And from that point on, God spoke through Moses. He spoke through his chosen representatives. And this reminds us of God's holiness, that he is not like us. He is infinite. He is all-powerful. He is perfectly good. And we are none of those things. He's set apart from us. He abhors sin. It's a stench in his nostrils. And so as Steve even preached a few weeks ago, God set up a system. If you remember this sermon, here's a little review for you. He set up a system for how we're to relate to him. And it's all about having barriers between the sin of the people and the holiness of God. Barriers between the sin of the people and the holiness of God. The tabernacle. 
the place where God dwelled. It wasn't a place of open access to all the people. It wasn't like uh, Joey could just say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to go speak to the Lord this morning. And he just waltzed into the tabernacle, into the most holy place, plopped down in front of the Ark of the Covenant and said, okay, God, here's what I have to say. That didn't happen. They had priests. And they would be the go-between for the people. They would enter into the tabernacle. But not even all of the priests could enter all the way into the tabernacle. Only the priests could go into the first room, the holy place. But then there was another curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place, only one priest could go in there, the high priest. And he could only go in one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement. God was serious about setting up this system. The tabernacle structure was a part of it. God's presence is set apart from the people. And it's a reminder that he is holy and we are not. And how about the cleansing laws? The fact that people who were deemed unclean had to be outside of the camp. That's another reminder to us. God is holy and we are not. He's set apart. And so even this wonderful blessing here in Numbers chapter 6, this great reminder of God's love and affection for his people, it's still mediated. The blessing is given to Aaron and his sons so that they in turn can give it to the people. Why? Because God is set apart from us. Now here's the the wonderful reality for us this morning. We have a far better mediator than Aaron to convey God's blessing upon us. Aaron failed multiple times to represent God well. Pretty famous example, Exodus 32. Moses is on the mountain talking with God, getting God's instruction for the people because the people didn't want to hear it straight from God. While Moses is away, the people come to Aaron and they say, make an idol for us. And he says, yeah, let's do that. Let's fashion a calf. I'm going to make an idol. And guess what? This is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Yeah, that's not a good move, Aaron. Major blemish on his record. Gravely sinned against God. He led the people astray, and they paid for it dearly. They literally had to grind up the calf, put it in water, drink the water. Pretty terrible experience. But we're going to see again in just a few more chapters, Numbers 12, which at the rate that Steve is going, maybe a month-ish from now, we'll see. Numbers 12... Aaron opposed Moses' leadership. And God said, stamp of approval back on Moses. Aaron did not, was, not in the right, was not right. He was very much in the wrong. He is not a perfect priest. He failed. We see that in Scripture. But we have a much better priest than Aaron. As the book of Hebrews teaches us, in the Old Testament, men in their weakness were appointed as high priests. Men in in their sinfulness, in their frailty, in their weakness, they were made high priests. Who else are you going to pick from? But for us today, we have a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus Christ, he is our mediator. He is our go-between with God. And he is not like Aaron. Jesus has a far better resume than Aaron ever had. Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. God once spoke through Aaron, an Israelite from the tribe of Levi. And now God speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. 
and listen to his resume. Appointed heir of all things, through whom God created the world, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is our perfect high priest, God's spokesman to us, our mediator, the one who speaks to us on behalf of God because God is perfectly holy and we are not. Jesus is the one through whom God conveys his blessing, through whom God gives his favor to us because he's set apart from us. So that's the first truth that we learn from this passage. Let's look at the second truth. God is for us. And this is where we get into the actual blessing itself. Begin looking with me at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You want to know how God feels about you? You want to know how God views his relationship toward you? Look no further than his face. Parents, you know how it is. When your kid does something and they're not sure if it's okay, they're, they're kind of like, I don't know if that was all right, what just happened? Like, they drop the remote on the ground and the batteries fall out. It was an accident, but they like in, instantly look at you just like petrified. I don't know what's going to happen next. And what are they looking for? They're looking to see, how are you going to react? What's your face going to say? And when you smile and say, it's okay, we'll pick it up, then your kid grabs the remote and chucks it because they think, well, I mean, if that was okay, I can throw it, right? Like, we have lots of conversations in our household, the difference between accidental and intentional. Accidental, intentional. But yeah, your kids are looking at your face, and your face says a lot. Well, so does God's face. God's face tells us what he thinks of us, how he feels about us. It communicates our thoughts and our feelings and our attitudes. Our facial expression matters. And here in number six, God's face is telling us that he is totally for us. His face is shining upon us. His countenance, just a fancy word for face, is lifted up to us. In other words, God smiles upon his people. There is deep love There's deep affection put on display here. This is one of two passages that I think really capture God's heart for his people using personification, where God is described with physical features just lavishing his love upon his people. This is one of two passages. The other passage I love is Zephaniah 3.17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God smiles upon his people. God sings over his people. He loves his people. He delights in us with this radiant, warm love. Now the two words that that are used here to describe his affection are grace and peace. May he be gracious to you. His peace be upon us. And interestingly enough, those are the same words that New Testament authors often use to convey blessing to the churches they write to. 1 Corinthians begins, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter, May may grace and peace be upon you, be multiplied to you. Revelation, 
Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. So what does this blessing convey to us? What does God's smiling face mean? It means that we've received God's unmerited favor. That's God's grace. It is when He gives us what we don't deserve. A seat in heaven. A place with Him forever. We don't deserve to have our sins forgiven, and yet He chose to do that. God's grace to us. His mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. I do deserve condemnation. I do deserve His wrath upon me, and He doesn't give that to me. And instead, He's gracious to me, and He gives me what I don't deserve, which is eternity with Him. Unmerited favor. His his smiling face, it's turned toward us because of nothing that we could do to earn it. I don't deserve God's grace. That's what makes it grace. His smiling face upon us because of nothing that we could do. That's His grace. And and His peace. This holistic sense of being made right with Him. We're at peace with Him. And we have peace through Him. We have peace. Now does that mean that that life will always be easy and merry and bright? No. In fact, God says the opposite in His Word. That we should be prepared to endure hardship and suffering. That we we just went through Ecclesiastes a few months ago, and we saw life under the sun is is hard, even for the Christian. The way that we experience it The way we go through it, though, is totally changed. Many of us in here, I can look at, and I know we've endured hardship. There are ways, even right now, that that some of us are going through hard, hard circumstances in our lives. So does that mean that God's face isn't smiling upon me? Well, if that's what it meant, man, I I wouldn't have any assurance. Like, if, if, if my assurance depended upon life is going smoothly from a very human perspective, if that's what it meant for God's face to be smiling on me, I I would fear that I'm not a Christian because I've gone through hard things. So that's not what it means when it says that God's face smiles upon us. It doesn't mean that life is just easy now. But the way that we go through it, the way we do experience that hardship is totally, totally changed. God has blessed us with His grace. And with his peace. And so we can joyfully endure because he's for us. Now another question. Do we always joyfully endure? No, I'm still wrestling with my sin. God is still working in us. He's still refining us and helping us to grow in that joy. And that's why we need passages just like this. Just like Numbers 6.22. We need passages that remind us God's face is smiling upon us. We don't always live like it, but by God's grace, we can be a people filled with more and more joy because we remember that God smiles upon us. Number six, it teaches us that God is for us. Now, why is he for us? Why would God smile upon us? Well, we need need to know the gospel to understand that. He is for us because ultimately, When Jesus went to the cross for our sins, God was against him. You see, God is against sin. His face 
is set against sin. His face is hidden from sin. Isaiah 52.9 or 59.2 helps us to understand God's attitude towards sin. It says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God's face is hidden from us because of our sin. Leviticus even more strongly says that God's face is set against sinners. We've not always had God's face smiling upon us. In our sin, in our rebellion, God hid his face from us. He set his face against us. But Jesus took our sins upon himself. He bore God's wrath in our place. The face that should have been hidden from us, the face that should have been set against us, was hidden from his own son, was set against his own son. And in this crazy, ironic twist, 2 Corinthians 4.6 says that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, get this, in the face of Jesus Christ. God transforms our hearts. God draws us to himself, and we see his glory in the face of his Son. In order to redeem us from sin and to reconcile us to himself, God had to set his face against his own Son. But for those of us who've repented and believed in Jesus, we now see God's glory in his Son's face, in the face of the one who's full of grace and truth, who died for our sins and rose again. God makes his face to shine upon us. God turns his face toward us. He smiles upon us because Jesus stood in our place and he paid the debt that we owed. Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who speaks to us on behalf of God. He's the one through whom God conveys all of his blessing to us. And it's because Jesus died in our place. And because of his sacrifice, because he took the full wrath of God that we deserved, God now blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Think about how Ephesians starts. He chose us in Christ for the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us in love for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. He redeemed us through the blood of Christ. He forgave us of our trespasses. And he guaranteed us a heavenly inheritance by giving us his Holy Spirit. All of this blessing, all of this blessing given to us through Christ, our perfect high priest, who offered himself up as a sacrificial lamb and turned God's face from wrath to blessing. Because of Christ, God is for us. So that's the second truth that we learn from this passage. And now the third and and the final truth. God will never leave us. We see that in verse 27. Look at the last verse here in our passage. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So God is saying that Aaron and his sons, as they convey the blessing, they will be putting my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. When God says that he put his name upon his people, he's showing ownership. 
He's saying, they are mine. They belong to me. I put my name on them. And it might seem like, I, the first reading that I had this, I thought like, that's kind of strange. What does he mean, I put my name on them? That, that's just, that didn't compute for me. But if you think about it, actually we do this all the time. How many of you have Tupperware with your name on it? How many of you have a basketball with your name on it? And we put our name on a piece of paper in school because if I don't put my name on it, nobody knows whose it is, nobody knows who it belongs to, and it might find its way into the trash. Lots of our teachers always said they'd do it, but did they really? I don't know. They, ownership, though, that matters. If you don't put your name on something, people don't know whose it is. And God says, I put my name on my people. They belong to him. It's a reminder They belong to him. And so the fact that God has put his name on us and we belong to him, that should bring great comfort to us. Why? Because God's not going to leave those that belong to him. He's not going to abandon those that he's made his own. Back when Solomon first built the temple in Jerusalem, he had this grand ceremony to to celebrate its completion. I'd encourage you to check it out. Look at the sacrifices that happened there. It's unbelievable what Solomon did to show his just love and appreciation for God. You should see those sacrifices. But that's not what I'm getting at here. We see in, in 1 Kings 9, after all the prayers and the sacrifices and all of the celebrating, God appeared to Solomon and listen to what he said. I have heard your prayer and plea that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So what's God saying? This temple is where my presence will dwell. I have chosen it. I have made it my place of residence and I'm not going to abandon it. In the same way, God has put his name on us. And he will not abandon us. And that should fill us with immense peace and contentment. God is with us. He will not leave us. His face is smiling upon us. Now we believe that by faith, right? We can't actually see God's face smiling upon us right now. We believe God's face is doing that because that's what his word tells us in number six. But that doesn't mean that we never waver, that we never doubt. For some of us, we can still struggle with believing God smiles upon us. We can still struggle with that in our day-to-day lives. And again, that's why we need passages like this. That's why we need passages that say, God's face is smiling upon you. Because the lies of the enemy, the lies of the enemy want us to believe otherwise want us to believe that God's face is still set against us. That what Christ accomplished on the cross wasn't good enough. That God's still hiding his face from us. We're inadequate. We're not worthy. We're still the same rebels we once were. Our sin is too great. The list could go on and on and on. And all of that is simply not true. God has poured out His wrath on His Son. All of the wrath that we deserve, Jesus took in our place. And God has now poured out His blessing on us. Now let me be clear. 
We can certainly still disappoint God. We can still sin against Him even as we're growing in grace. We still sin. And that will warrant God's discipline in our lives. But He will never abandon us. My kids can disappoint me. They can let me down. They can hurt me. But I'm not going to take away my love from them. My face will always be toward them. I will be for them. Does that make it okay for them to hurt me? No, of course not. Does it give them a license to sin, a license to do evil? No. But when they do sin against me, my face will still be toward them. Now, my love for my own children, it pales in comparison to God's love for us. Because of my own sinful heart, I am capable of failing. I pray that God will keep me, but I could abandon my kids. I could turn my face away from them if they hurt me. I'm capable of that kind of sin. But God is incapable of abandoning us. He cannot do it because it goes against His nature. He's made us His own through the finished work of His Son, and so He will never leave us. He blesses us. He smiles upon us because of our relationship to Jesus. And one day, we won't have to believe that by faith anymore. One day, we will be in heaven with God, or perhaps when Jesus returns then, we'll be on earth, the new heavens and new earth, with God. And we will see his smiling face. Listen to Revelation 22, beginning in verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We're going to see God's face. And I guarantee you, if you are in Christ, that face will not be frowning. That face will not be unsure of who you are. That face will not be set against you. Why? Because he just said his name will be on their foreheads. We belong to God. He's put his name upon us. We're his, and he'll always be with us. His face will be smiling when we enter into our eternal home. So be encouraged. God's blessing is on us if we've put our trust in Christ. But if you haven't this morning, if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, if you're watching on the live stream and you haven't put your faith in Christ, God's faith is still set against you. It is still hidden from you. But it doesn't have to be. That can change. Turn to Christ and all that God offers in salvation is yours. His face will smile upon you. He will welcome you into eternity because His Son has taken all of His wrath upon Himself. All of God's wrath for sin, all of His judgment poured out on His Son. So believe in Him today. Jesus is our hope. And in His face, we see the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that your Son did go to the cross, endure the punishment that we deserved. And because of Him, your face is no longer set against us. You smile upon us. God, help us to remember what Jesus has done. To to revel in who Jesus is. The hope that we have in Him. And then help us to live lives that are honoring you. 
We pray that you would be magnified, that you would be, be made, that you'd be lifted high in our lives, and that we would live in a way that adorns the gospel because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for the great blessing that you pour upon us in him. We thank you that your face smiles upon us because of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.